Hey everybody, Chris Avery with you on Chargers Weekly. A great episode today. Throughout the offseason, we're going to get to know our AFC rivals a little bit better, starting in Denver. ESPN senior writer Jeff Legwald stops in to answer key offseason questions about the Broncos. But first, NFL reporter Neil Reynolds of Sky Sports TV in the UK joins me to discuss the Chargers' 2018 trip to London. All right, here with Neil Reynolds on Chargers Weekly. And Neil, amid all these fantastic playoff games, Chargers fans were given some big news last week. They're headed to London in 2018 to play the Tennessee Titans. It's going to be at Wembley Stadium in either Week 7 or Week 8. How has that news been received in the UK, Neil? Uh, very, very excited fan base. We have, uh, we have multiple games every year uh, played in London, and I think this is the... Uh, on paper, the strongest lineup we've ever had. And I think people are very excited to see Philip Rivers uh, again. We saw him just in the very second, just the second game that was played uh, in Wembley Stadium in 2008, a shootout with Drew Brees and the Saints. So people are really excited about all three games that we've got, but they are excited about the matchup between the, the Chargers and the Titans. People see how how good the Chargers were down the down the stretch and, and how unlucky they were really not to be a playoff team, certainly a playoff quality team, uh, in my opinion. So it's been very, very well received. I think uh, people are very excited to see the uh, the the old gunslinger and then all the young <laughs> stars around him. Absolutely. And you mentioned the last time that the Chargers played in London. you got to go back to 2008 they fell to the Saints 37-32, but Rivers and Breeze, as you mentioned, put on a show. I think Phillip threw for 341 yards, three touchdowns. And, Neil, it's incredible how 10 years later, not much has changed with number 17. He's as dangerous as ever. It is, and it is really incredible because I remember that night, and Ladanian Tomlinson went off as well. He had a, a run where he kind of spun out of a tackle, and he, he ran downfield. And I want to say it was either his first, 100-yard game of the season or his only 100-yard game of that season. You know, he kind of really broke out at Wembley. Well, LT's been uh, safely ensconced in a TV studio for a few years now. <laughs> yes. Philip's still, Phillip's still going strong. And, you know, I think people... I tell you what, he really appeals to British fans. But I think, not that he's an underdog, but Brits really love like a sort of gutsy competitor, somebody who kind of lays it on the line uh, every single week, and I think whenever we watch Philip Rivers, that is that is him. I mean, there are obviously he's a, a a very talented passer in terms of the technicalities of it and the accuracy, but sometimes it's just that he wears his heart on his sleeve, and and I think we love him for that. You know, another player that was recently there, Neil Melvin Gordon. He was in London in 2016, and I believe he threw a bowling party for Chargers fans in the UK. He, and, he was, yeah, yeah. right. There, there's a lot of Chargers yeah. fans overseas. How much has NFL fandom grown year over year in the UK? I mean, it's grown now to the point where we have enough fans to be considered seriously for a franchise. I think we've got to that stage. Um, I think the NFL know that. They can play multiple games here. They continue to test the market in terms of seeing if we can host a franchise. That's why we're going to play games in week six, seven, and eight, because if we have a team, we're probably going to have a home stand, and then we're going to go on the road, and then we're going to be back at home. So I think everything has grown about the the, the business. I host the NFL on Sky Sports. 
our viewing figures from last year to this year we're we're up more than forty percent. So wow. every year it grows, and it's because of the yeah. And you think about TV ratings in the states. I mean, you take a forty percent hike every year, so um, everything's growing at a really fast rate um, because we're getting to see the real thing. We're getting to see the games. New fans are coming in all the time. Um, and you know, just to go back to Melvin Gordon, I, I do a lot of event hosting for NFL UK. I've been on tour during the playoffs, uh, touring the country, hosting events. So I work closely with NFL UK and I can tell you, Melvin reached out to NFL UK and was the one that said, I want to host a bowling night with Chargers fans. I mean, what a great ambassador for the sport. Unbelievable. Um, I know those, those Chargers fans had a great time and kind of blown up. That does not happen in the English Premier League. That really doesn't. So they were blown away by uh, his generosity. You know, Neil, as soon as the news came out, I think Melvin tweeted out a picture of that bowling party in 2016 and said, we'll see you guys soon. So I know he's excited and a lot of Chargers players are excited to get there. There were four games in London this past season. I think a total of 21 NFL games have now been played in the U.K., Uh, becoming a staple in the NFL schedule, as you mentioned. What's your favorite memory, Neil, now that you have about 20 or so of these under your belt in London? Wow. It's uh, a couple of things. Um, And and the NFL does a great job of putting on uh, weekend events. Players say it's like a a Super Bowl atmosphere. You know, if you've played in a Super Bowl, the next best thing in terms of atmosphere and all the razzmatazz that goes with it is is a London game. So, uh, I get to host. I hosted the the pre-game party the day before uh, a few games now, but the first time when the Steelers and the Vikings played in 2013, we took over Regent Street. So it's kind of the equivalent of shutting down Fifth, Ave- Fifth Avenue in New York, <laughs> and uh, there was it was packed with 500,000 NFL fans on the day. So that that's a really special one. Uh, in terms of games. I think the one where the Jags, a couple of years back, the Jags beat Buffalo, uh, and it was the diving Alan Hearns catch in the corner of the end zone. That's right. Uh, that that was a that was a, a great moment because Jags had stormed out to a lead. Buffalo came back and took the lead, and then Bortles threw the touchdown to Alan Hearns. So that one's there. And I will I always still say this: one of the best games overall from start to finish was the game we had between the Chargers and the Saints. Uh, it was. It came the year after the first year we had the Dolphins and the Giants in pouring rain. Neither team could move the ball. It was horrible conditions and it was a slugfest with not many points. The following year, it was raining. It was not great conditions. And we saw the power of two quarterbacks because Drew Brees and Philip Rivers, they had no problem putting points on the <laughs> It didn't ball. matter, right? <laughs> right. 37-32 was the final score of that game. That's, a, that's what we call a, a good old-fashioned shootout. Uh, Neil, what's the biggest difference between watching a game in the States in an NFL stadium versus Wembley, for instance? I think you kind of mentioned it. It almost kind of has that Super Bowl atmosphere to it. Mm. Yeah, so you'll, you'll see it when you, when you come over and come for the games. They'll be all... 32 team jerseys represented. Uh, we tailgate, but not like you do in the States. So it's not kind of out of the back of your car. The NFL will put on an official tailgate party. I'll kind of host that. We'll bring alumni up on stage. Um, you know, we make a big thing of former players and players associated with the team's history. Um, I think you'll notice that it's a split crowd a lot of the time. You know, it's a, it can be, uh, you know, 
people obviously will be Chargers fans there. There will be Titans fans there, but then there will be fans of all other 32, you know, all other 30 teams and they'll be picking who they want to win uh, on that day. The other thing, I don't know, obviously depends who you play in the States, but sometimes you'll have quite a fierce rivalry. And so the fans may not always get along. Um, I don't, we never have that. It's almost like, it's almost like everyone's first love is the NFL and then they pick their team. So yeah. everyone's got this kind of shared passion. So it feels very, very family day out. It's a really, it's a really cool experience. And, and yeah, you get half the stadium cheering for one team, half for the other. And and you, I, the other thing you'll see, Chris, is, you know, you could be five minutes left in the fourth quarter of a, of a 21 point blowout and they'll all still be there. They'll all still be no there. No one's they're leaving early, huh? They don't leave early. And, and they, you know, they don't, they don't, um, they don't leave any empty seats. I mean, everything's a sellout. And, and that's my argument when I talk to people about, you know, why should London have a franchise? And I say, why not? Why not? If we're, if we're willing to spend our money on the NFL, we want to come and watch the games and we're going to pack out an 80,000 seat stadium every week, which we do when we go to Wembley Stadium. So I think the fans here shouldn't be held back by geography. I think their passion, their commitment is, is every bit as strong as, as you see in the United States. Neil, for Chargers fans living in Los Angeles and they haven't been to London, for instance, what's the best way to experience London? You're, obviously, you're there for the game, but you want to take in mm. all the sights and pack in as much as possible. I feel like this is a, this is a seven-day trip. Yes. Um, so I would say I love, and uh, I live about an hour outside of London, but if I, come, if I go into London and do stuff with my family, then we don't, we don't tra- take the train. We take the boat up the River Thames. And you can see everything from either side of the boat. You can actually also do, this is my personal favorite, and I recommend it for anyone who comes over. You can take a speedboat up the River Thames, so, which is just fantastic. So that is, you know, they, 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 you see the Houses of Parliament, you see Big Ben, and they're playing James Bond music, and you're on a speedboat. Perfect. What more do you want? <laughs> what more can you want? That's amazing. <laughs> Neil, tell us about this NFL UK live tour. I, I saw you were with Josh Norman and Emmanuel Sanders earlier this week in Manchester. What's that event all about? So this is a this is our chance because everything is so London focused on the, on the games, and obviously we're building a fan base in London, the southeast. But NFL recognises that fans come from all over the UK to watch the games, so we can't take the games to them, but we can take uh, we can take uh, content to them and put on a fun event. So I created a stage show, which is uh, two hours and we'll play fun and games that they'll answer questions from, uh, from fans. It's a really lighthearted, uh, you know, laid back sort of way for fans to get to know NFL players even more. We've had in the past, um, Odell Beckham, uh, Andrew Luck, Ben Roethlisberger, uh, we had Kurt Warner last year. Peter King came. We've had a real mix of guests. Kirk Cousins, Jarvis Landry, Jay Ajayi. Um, uh, this, now we're with Josh Norman, Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, Scott Hansen joined us from, from NFL Red Zone. He was with us for the last couple of days. Um, so I'm always looking for new guests and new players to bring over. And I'm doing another tour in March. Going to take in Ireland. So now I'm thinking Melvin Gordon's going to be on my radar. Absolutely. You may even want to give him a shout. <laughs> and 
mate. You might have to tweet him. <laughs> Neil, I want to get you out of here on this. We have to talk Championship Sunday real quick. But before we do, mm. there's an amazing tweet, I think, from the Sky Sports account. I think you, you may have retweeted it as well. Of you and Scott Hansen watching the end of the Saints-Vikings game. <laughs> One of the most incredible moments in NFL playoff history. What were your takeaways mm. from that divisional round? Oh, just uh, it was just such a fun weekend. And what me and Scott were saying afterwards, you know, every game, it seemed, with the exception of the Patriots one uh, on the Saturday night, has been competitive. And, and it's been a really exciting playoffs this year. Um, I only appear in that video about halfway through because I actually <laughs> ran around the studio for about the first 10 seconds. <laughs> Scott was like he was receiving electric shock treatment. And, uh, you know, our other guests were kind of just hanging on for dear life. But, um, it was just what a fantastic, that's what the NFL does, right? It creates those wow moments. And, and we have them, that was 1.30 a.m. UK time. We'd been working until 5 a.m. So we worked on, the, by the time the Patriots game finished, it was 5 a.m. Sunday morning. By the time that touchdown went in for Stefan Diggs, it was 1.30 a.m. Monday morning. And... Do you know what? We went up to Scotland on the Monday night and we had 600 fans in the theatre and there wasn't an empty seat. And people had no sleep all weekend. And that's what the NFL does. We just, we just love it. We just love, we just love those moments. And, and incredible. a play like that, you become a fan again, even though you're sitting in the TV studio. Oh, my gosh. I, you know, I got chills watching Case Keenum lead that skull chant mm. at the end. I mean, that that's the oh. <laughs> that's probably the lasting image that I'll have of this NFL playoffs. Obviously, we have the championship round and the Super Bowl to go, but those are the types mm. of moments you mentioned, you know, the, the fandom and just the, the growth yeah. and popularity of the sport. It's moments like that that make it all worth it. It was, and I, I'm, I was really excited because – I've been on tour with Kyle Rudolph and Harrison Smith, and I, you know, we still talk all the time, so I consider them to be kind of friends. But then I felt really bad, and, and this is the class of the man. I don't know if people even noticed it, but I went on tour last year with Thomas Morstead, the punter for the Saints. Yeah. One of the nicest guys you will ever meet. And Thomas, when he could have been hiding in the showers, jogged out of that locker room for that two-point conversion when they were going to take a knee. And played linebacker for the Saints. I mean, it was just, it, and it will never ever get mentioned. It will never ever get noticed. But I saw him out there anyway. I'm glad you brought that up because that's just that's class. That's class. That is class, right? That's when you know who your leaders are. Absolutely. All right, let's get you out of here on this, Neil. Jags and Patriots. Jags have really been the de facto home team in the UK for some time. And I think it's going to be a fascinating chess match between that Jags defense and Tom Brady. Do you think Jacksonville mm-hmm. has the chance at the upset? They're built that way. When you think about Tom Coughlin's teams that cost Tom Brady two more Super Bowl wins, they could rush with four, they could play physical on the back end, and they could run the football. And that's all what the Jags can do. So, you know, and again, they've built themselves a, a monster. When I when I first started going to cover Jags training camp, uh, because they were coming over and playing games in London, they would ask me who I'd want to interview. And I'd be, I'd, the list started with Josh Scobie. You know, and I love Josh, but he was the, he was the number one player on their list as a kicker. <laughs> it's um, a little bit different it was now. Not that it was not that way this year when I went back. Yeah, it was uh, it was a little bit different. Uh, they're built they're built to really challenge Tom Brady. They have everything you need to challenge Tom Brady, but it's Tom Brady. So I I don't very often go against the Patriots, especially in Foxborough. So I think uh, I think New England are going to be back there again. 
I'm with you on that. I, I just think the experience and having number 12 under center, you really can't bet against yeah. them in January. Vikings at Eagles. Vikings played the Browns in London this season, and the Eagles are going to be taking on the Jags at Wembley in 2018. Do you think the Vikings can carry that momentum into Philly, or will Nick Foles lead the Eagles to Super Bowl 52? Yeah, well, this is the uh, this is the quarterback matchup we all predicted in preseason. Right? Oh, that's how we <laughs> drew it up. Case Keenum versus Nick Foles. Exactly. Yeah, um, I think that you know that I always keep. I work with a lot of uh, this year on Sky Sports. We had um, Takio Spikes join us for for a three weeks stint doing our studio show. I had Rob Ryan join me. Uh, Sean Gale, who won a Super Bowl with the '85 Bears. I'm always told defense wins championships, so. Uh, that Vikings defense is pretty special, so I'm I'm going to pick Minnesota to win uh, away from home. Me as well. I think we're on the same page here. Pats, Vikings, Minnesota gets a home Super Bowl. It would be quite the story if they could take it home. Mm. Neil, I, I I know how busy you are. I cannot thank you enough for your time. I know you you got NFL UK live shows. You're you're on Sky Sports. You're all over the place right now. Um, I appreciate you carving out some time for the Chargers fans today. We look forward to talking to you down the line. Yeah, definitely. I'm glad you reached out because we got, what, nine months before the Chargers play in the UK, so that means I can get on a few more times. Absolutely. We're going to have you on a a few more times this offseason. You guys can ask some questions to Neil, get the best tips for a stay in London. (laughs) Neil, thank you so much, and I will talk to you soon, sir. Thanks, Chris. All right, now that it's the offseason, it's important to know what's going on with your rivals in the AFC West, and today we're going to talk some Denver Broncos with ESPN senior writer and Broncos reporter Jeff Legwald. And Jeff, let's start with your overall thoughts on this division because a lot has happened the last two weeks from John Gruden being hired in Oakland to Kansas City losing that 21-3 halftime lead to the Titans on wildcard weekend. Well, you know, that I think the Gruden news is the, you know, obviously the biggest and and certainly you can see that, you know, change is in order now for for half the division, you know, the Broncos have, uh, retained Vance Joseph, but they fired six assistant coaches after the season. And that doesn't include offensive coordinator, Mike McCoy, uh, the former head coach there who was fired during this season. So that's seven assistant coaches off one staff, uh, fired in one season, which I'm not sure I've ever seen before when the, when the head coach has remained. So, You've got a lot of change for two teams, and you know I think you could argue that Chargers closed the strongest, even though you know the Chiefs made the playoffs. But you know, in that that old body of work category, I think you could say that the Chargers closed the year the strongest, and and you know they've got to feel awfully good about what they can do next season if you know again if if everything comes together on offense like they hope. Yeah, the, I think the key was continuity with that coaching staff in, in Los Angeles with Coach Lynn and getting Gus Bradley and Ken Wisenhunt back. And like you said, winning nine of your last 12, uh, always a good thing, momentum going into the offseason. But in Denver, Jeff, a disappointing year, 5-11, and 11, very uncharacteristic of the Denver Broncos. And you can point to a lot of different issues, but chief among them has to be the uncertainty at the quarterback position. I, I would even go a little further than that. You know, I would say the fact they couldn't decide or didn't decide what they wanted to be on offense. I think mm-hmm. they had enough at the quarterback position to, with their defense, to make the playoffs. But I, I think, you know, they're five and eleven, and they had five games this year where they ran the ball more than they threw it. 
And those were the five wins. Yet uh, they made a conscious decision not to play that way a lot of the time. And I think they got sidetracked, you know, trying to be something they weren't on offense. And I think that dragged the quarterbacks down with them. I mean, they went they went nine and seven with Trevor Simeon at quarterback in 2016. And yes. I, I think there's plenty of argument that this year's roster one to 53 was better than that team. So I don't, you know, it, it's convenient to say it's the quarterback's fault and they certainly paid the price. You know, all of them got pulled from the lineup at some point, but I, I think it went deeper and beyond the quarterbacks to uh, just a, a lack of identity on offense or, or the inability to do uh, what the team could do well. And Jeff, that leads me to my next question because, you know, the quarterbacks on this roster currently, namely Paxton Lynch, do you think he even has a shot to be the starter in 2018? This is a first-round pick. He's only started four NFL games. I think he only played in two this year, uh, was hurt for a large part of the season. Uh, I just I would imagine there's a little bit of apprehension on the Broncos' behalf to, to roll the dice on another young quarterback in the first round this year, knowing that you just drafted one in the first round two years ago. Uh, and But they're going to the – changes are coming at quarterback. I think it's only a question of, you know, who gets to remain mm-hmm. in place because they're, they're adding at quarterback, and they, and they might well do it in both free agency and the draft. So uh, I asked John Elway at the end of the season – what you know he could say about Paxton Lynch's future and and all he would say was we're going to discuss it so that's not a vote of confidence if you're Paxton Lynch you know uh that that's every opportunity for the GM of the team to say you know we drafted this guy in the first round and we think he's on track to be a starter and and Elway didn't say that and and what he did say was that in his mind they have to get better at quarterback if they're going to compete again. So I think that puts everybody on notice, including Paxton, that uh, if you're going to be part of the equation, you better have a good off season because they are, they're bringing in competition, whether any of the quarterbacks who remain uh, like it or not, they they do have three under contract right now. Simeon, Paxton Lynch and Chad Kelly are all under contract for next season. I don't think all three will be here when camp opens. Jeff, a name we're hearing a lot is Kirk Cousins, and whether it's with Denver or speculative with other teams, and whether or not he may be the answer at quarterback in Denver. If he indeed hits the free agency market, are the Broncos ready to invest in a $30 million per year quarterback? Well, I, I think that's the going rate. You know, everybody looks at what Mike Glennon got, you know, to, to not play in yeah. Chicago. So, yeah. you know, that that sets the bar. I mean, if you're a quarterback who's, who's got any ability to be a starter at all, that's your starting point. And cousins is going to be maybe, you know, other than, you know, it was an injured Peyton Manning who came into the market, but cousins is rare. I mean, he's, he's going to be a 30 year old quarterback. Who's been a, a proven starter in the open market. It's, it's the rarest of things. And, you know, if they franchise him for the third year, you know, that's $34 million or so. That's a tough call for the Redskins. If they transition him, you know, teams can bid on him like the Broncos. But I think if if you're a general manager and you've decided you're going to sign a free agent quarterback, 
you understand the top of the market is going to be about $30 million a year, and you better just accept it if you're going to wade in and do it. I will say when Cousins came into the draft, the Broncos were very interested in him, you know, at that time. So mm-hmm. I don't think it would it would be, you know, they think he's a player. It's just a matter of, you know, once you do that, it affects what you can do everywhere on your roster. And that's a big decision because this team's had very few salary cap dollars at quarterback over the last two years, and they've structured their roster that way. So if they suddenly tip the scales so the quarterback has the biggest cap figure, yeah. that that affects what they've done elsewhere. It's it's just fascinating how Kirk Cousins has really played this because he didn't accept the deal that the Redskins gave him a couple of years ago, and you just play in essentially on one-year deals, one-year deals. And like you said, we've never seen anything like this. Like a quarterback in his prime – that's available. You're just going to have to spend a lot of money to get them. Let's, let's move to the coach, uh, Vance Joseph. He's back in the fold, Jeff. Um, the Denver coaching staff will coach in the Senior Bowl. You heard rumblings about Coach Joseph's job security. He himself said he was aware of the noise at the end of the season. How does he rebound after a difficult first year? And I think you alluded to it at the beginning. A lot of changes on that coaching staff. Yeah, I mean, he's he essentially... You know, he cut a big swath through there. And I think what he has now is, you know, there's, you know, he had a few of the coaches uh, that he hired, you know, a year ago. So it was a mix of holdovers and, and guys he had hired who, who got fired at the end of the season. So, but this staff moving forward is kind of how he wants to construct it. Now they've split some of the position duties, you know, they have a, one line coach will handle guards and centers. Mm-hmm. The other coach will handle tackles. You know, they've divvied things up like that in the secondary offensive line and at linebacker. I think that tells me they're, they're looking to maybe have a younger roster where teaching is going to be more important. So I, I think they've set that up. And, and I think Vance has openly said he needs to do a better job of managing the whole picture that, when you're a head coach and you haven't done it before, I think sometimes you underestimate all of the things that come with it. And one of those things is you, you have to manage your coaching staff. You can't just name coordinators and let them do their thing. You know, you've, you've got to have a vision. And I think the fact they they did not play the way on offense, their personnel would have dictated and they missed the, they, they lost the whole season because of it. I think that affected him, and I think he understands moving forward that if you're the head coach and everybody's going to put all that stuff in your lap, you better, you know, you better oversee it yourself. One of the the bright spots for this coaching staff is they're going to be able to coach in the Senior Bowl, and there's some big time talent at a lot of different positions, including quarterback. When you talk about Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen, really headlining that group, uh, what kind of advantage does Coach Joseph and that staff see this being getting your hands on some of these seniors? early before the combine? Well, I think any staff that coaches in the senior bowl gets one advantage the other teams don't have. And and that is you get to see players in meetings. You get to see players handle their business away from the field. And that's not a look you get, you know, in your pre-draft preparation. You may get private workouts with guys, but you don't see how they are in meetings, what kinds of questions they ask, you know, are they late? You know, you get to see a guy go through a week's worth of 
essentially practices and meetings that are constructed. Oh yeah. Uh, for the most part, what they'll see in the NFL. So I think you get that vision of a player and it makes it a safer, a far safer bet if you like what he does on the field too. And I think that's why you've seen every staff that coached in the senior bowl, their draft class almost always includes, uh, you know, players they coached at the game. I want to ask you about this defense. You know, we know, we know the special teams was kind of their bugaboo last year. A, a new special teams coordinator comes in, Tom McMahon. There was a, a lot of gaffes on, on special teams this year that really hurt them. Defensively, third overall in the league, um, but they allowed nearly 24 points per game. You look at last year, that was under 19. How would you assess the defense now, Jeff, under Joe Woods in his first year as a defensive coordinator? I think they had some some busts in coverage because they tried to do some new things for this group. You know, there were, there was a lot more man zone combinations than they had played in the past. And I think as a result of that, they gave up, you know, more touchdowns than almost everybody in the league, uh, touchdown passes. And, uh, some of that was they turned the ball over so often. They were one of the worst. I think only the Browns had more, uh, turnovers, in the league and that often put them in short fields and some of their statistical problems were because of that you know they're they're defending teams from the 30 they run three plays and kick a field goal so you know i i think defensively they feel good about overall where they are but they do have to clean up uh some some of those mistakes in the secondary and they they have to find another another rusher because teams were you know von miller may have had one of the best seasons that a defensive player had in the league and nobody knows it. Yeah, can't do everything. He, he was wading he was wading through double and triple teams all year. So uh you know they've got to find a way to get him free because he is still very much in his prime and and there are very few better players in the league. So they they've got to take advantage of his his window here to give them elite play. Jeff, I remember after week one when the Broncos beat the Chargers in really the last seconds there, I remember Phillips saying something like, we saw a lot of Miami referring to Vance Joseph and his style of defense. What was the balance between what Wade did the year before and what Coach Joseph brought in? Uh, and how did that kind of mesh throughout the 2017 season? You know, I, I think that, you know, you could see the differences. And again, a lot of it was in some of the coverages. You know, Wade was far more man-to-man oriented. Now he would you know, he would sprinkle other things in sometimes, but, yeah. uh, and the Broncos played a lot of man this year that, you know, when you have corners like they do, you're going to play a lot of man, but there was a lot more of a, a bigger variety of things. And, and in that they, they did make some mistakes because of it. So I think they have to, you know, moving forward, they got to decide how much is too much on both sides of the ball. You know, how much, you know, how much in your game plan is too much and, and what, what is really needed and what do you do best? And I think that's part of the transition moving forward, but I think it will be more and more Joe Woods and and Vance Joseph's defense moving forward. Just, just because that's natural, you know, they're now they're another year away from removed from, from Wade's time here. Jeff, get you out of here on this. If you had an off season wish list for these Broncos, what are going to be the two or three or four things that are going to top that list that says, hey, we had a successful offseason. Let's try to rebound in 2018. 
you know, I, rather than specific players, I mean, obviously the quarterback, they get, they've got a, and I'm not even saying a specific quarterback, but they have to, they have to have a firm plan. Yeah. If it's a veteran, do you have a, do you have a young guy coming behind him? You know, what's your long range plan? Is it just throw a young guy in and let him play his way out of trouble? But they need a firm plan at quarterback and, and the same kind of plan in the offensive line because they've gone back and forth between different schemes and what they want in linemen for, for about four years now. And it, and it's affected their play and, and it makes it hard to draft. So that, you know, those two spots, they need a firm plan of, and a mold of, of a player they want and stick to it. And beyond that, I would say some help in the rush to get Miller free because it would be a shame to not have him be all he can be because he's wading through so, so many double and triple teams because nobody else in the formation is, is challenging anybody. Yeah, you talk about that offensive line, especially in the AFC West when you got Mack and Oakland and Houston and company in Kansas City and obviously Ingram and Bosa in L.A. You definitely want to shore up that offensive line. And you may find some of those guys down at the Senior Bowl. Uh, you're going to be down there, right, Jeff? Yeah, a couple days at the Senior Bowl. I'll check in and see, uh, see what there is to see. Awesome. Well, I'll be down there. Be sure to say hi. I really appreciate your time today, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. And that's going to do it for this week's episode. My thanks to Jeff Legwald and Neil Reynolds for joining me. And thanks to you all for listening. Be sure to subscribe to Chargers Weekly on Apple Podcasts and leave a review to help spread the word so we can get this to as many Chargers fans as possible. Next week, I'll be coming to you from the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. Keep it like the Chargers Weekly for some big-time interviews as the organization prepares for the NFL Draft. Enjoy Championship Sunday, and until next time, I'm Chris Hayreed.